0: 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 2, rather. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 10. um, But I want to read to give us some context, uh, verses 1 through um, 12. But let's let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Father, um, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. And Lord, we are reminded from this text that You have, by Your own mercy, called us out of darkness and into marvelous light through Your Son. And we especially see that through Your Word. Father, I pray that You would shine Your light into our hearts in the dark places, the places we don't want to be shined into this morning, using Your Word. Showing us those areas where we are in rebellion against You, reminding us of the gracious and loving merciful um, care of our Savior, that we might run to Him once again, all the more strongly. For all these things in the name of Jesus, amen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation." Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Well, stones serve as uh, many different purposes, don't they? If you think about all the different types of buildings that are built of stone and how they elicit different responses depending on what kind of building and perhaps even what kind of stone is used. A fortress, to some, it looks a lot like salvation and protection, to others, it looks merely like an obstacle. A prison, To some, this great building of stone looks like justice. But to others, it looks like the loss of freedom and perhaps even loved ones. A monument. A monument, depending on what it is, it means a great deal to some if you think about the World War II memorial in in Washington, D.C., For those who fought in this war and have gone and seen it, I can imagine it brings great memories of both loss and joy that it's over. But to others who don't know that history, they may just see it as something pretty and nice architecture. A cliff of stone, you know, to mountain climbers it looks like a challenge and fun. To the rest of us who are sane, it looks like sheer terror. Or to a grave marker. Such as we think about the national cemeteries and all their beauty. To some, uh, one of these grave markers with a name on it brings back great sorrow and mourning. But to others who travel all over the world to see these amazing cemeteries, it looks like mathematical precision and beauty. But all these pale in comparison to the different reactions to the stone that we find in our text, Jesus. To some, the stone Jesus looks like salvation, and to others, judgment and condemnation. To to some, it looks like he looks like a, a precious gift, and to others, it is a gift too good to be accepted and therefore is rejected. To the saved, he looks like God Almighty, but to many in the world, he looks only like a moral teacher, In our text, we see many different uses of stones to refer to Jesus. The the living stone, the cornerstone, the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense. And what we find is that we must have the right reaction to Him. For either we will accept Him and have salvation, or we will reject Him and be crushed by Him. Well, the first thing we see is that He is a living stone as we see in verse 4. Why is He called living? Well, it's because of the resurrection. He's not a dead stone that we'll find in a trash heap or even in a building. He is living. He is living because He has the power to give life. And those who trust in Him receive life as well. And we are called living stones just like He is. He is a precious living stone and He is a chosen living stone. One that is prized by the builder, set aside for the right kind of use, unlike that of other stones. Well, the focus here in our text of a stone is that he is the cornerstone. We saw this in our call to worship this morning from Psalm 118. The, builder, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, which is quoted in our text and in about a dozen other places throughout Scripture. You find it on the lips of Isaiah. And you find it even on the lips of Jesus, referring to Himself, all pointing to the Messiah who was to come and now finally has. A cornerstone is the most important of all stones. It is the first stone that is laid and is the most crucial to get right. You know, nowadays we have mostly ceremonial um, cornerstones. There's a stone that's kind of like that right outside the office door, and it says First Presbyterian Church, 1923. I thought this building was 1922, so perhaps, I I don't think the stone's wrong. I think I might have it incorrect. It's a ceremonial stone. It serves no real purpose. I imagine it's the one stone amongst the brick underneath behind the, the stucco. It looks nice. But it has no real purpose other than as a memorial marker for us. But but long ago, this wasn't the case. A true cornerstone was the first stone that was laid in a foundation. It had to be perfectly square. Squared on the edges. It had to be perfectly straight. Because if it was was laid just, just half a degree off, the whole building would be wrong. It was the most important of all stones. Jesus, here, is the cornerstone. But of what? Of what building is he the cornerstone of? Well, we find that he is, in verse 5, the, the cornerstone of the spiritual house, of which we are a royal priesthood, being built up together as living stones, with Christ the cornerstone. But this is made even clearer in Ephesians 2, 20-22, just a, a wonderful text that, that really brings together all the elements of our passage this morning We find that the church here is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus is the cornerstone of the house of God, the church, the temple of God. You think about that, that, that amazing statement. That we are being built up together into the temple of God. That as God's people, we are part of the building of God's new temple. And done away with is the need for the blood of bulls and goats. The temple was destroyed in AD 70. And how much greater is the new temple? The temple that is the church as we are built together as we worship our Lord. He himself is the cornerstone. He is life, and therefore we are living. He has been raised, therefore we will be raised. He has died, therefore we have died to our sin. We are united together in Him and are being built up with Him. He is His cornerstone, and according to our text, He is precious and chosen. We see this in verse 6, which is a quotation from Isaiah 28. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. You know, the builders may have rejected Him. But to the Father, He is chosen and precious. He is chosen in that He is the right one for the job. He was slain before the foundation of the the world. and, And He is the truly elect one who has come to save His elect from destruction. He is precious, worthy of honor and praise one he is God himself and therefore is worthy of all praise but he is also his father's beloved he's also his father's beloved what what child isn't precious to his father how much more our beloved savior to his father the world rejected him but he said this is the one this is the one by whom I will save sinners like you and me and I will build my church Even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Is Jesus precious to you? Somewhere this morning I've heard reference to the the pearl of great price. Maybe in the special, I can't remember where it was, but Matthew 13, 45 through 46. This great parable we read, and again, The the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, Who, on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The cornerstone, our Savior is precious for a lot of reasons, but because He has shed His blood for us. And His precious blood is the one thing that can save us. Well, there, there are a couple of other references to Jesus as the stone, and I, I want to deal with those as I ask this question, how will we respond, how will you respond to the stone, to Christ the stone? The living stone, the cornerstone, the rock of offense, the stone of stumbling. There are only two responses. We either believe in Him or we reject Him. And the text is very clear about what it means to reject Jesus. Verse 7 tells us, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Um. Have you ever been on a missions trip? It seems like every missions trip I've ever been on, it seems like we're always laying foundation. I've never really gotten to do anything but work on the foundation. Uh, and the foundation is really important. Without a proper foundation, and under our own technology, you know, the rebar just being right, and the concrete being the right consistency, and measured just correctly, the whole building is worthless. Before the use of concrete and rebar the right cornerstone was necessary. The, the picture here is of a, of a builder who's looking for just, just the right stone to, to begin his, his grand masterpiece. And he goes all throughout the quarry looking for the right stone and he rejects many, many stones. None of them are right. But God... God has taken the one that the builder has rejected and He has used it to build the greatest building of all, that is the church, the temple of God. Acts 4.11 tells us that this passage from Psalm 118 is fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ. That properly speaking, Christ was rejected when He was crucified. The world looked upon Him and said, He is not worthy of of building the kingdom of God upon. He is a false prophet, the world said. Here is the Messiah. He He is pouring down blood over His face. He has been stuck in the side with a spear. And He is bleeding out upon a cross. This can't be the Messiah. The world rejected Him. But the Father, reaching down into the grave, He said, that's the stone. That's not one of the stones, that's the stone, that's the cornerstone. But the apostles and the prophets, they've been pointing to His coming, and here He is, and He has raised Him from the dead, and the stone that the builders had rejected has now become the cornerstone of our salvation. It is the very basis of it. Why would He be rejected? Verse 8 tells us He is, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For some, Jesus and the good news are not good news at all. Instead of rejoicing in the good news that Jesus has come and died for us, some reject it, many reject it. Broad is that way. They stumble over it because it is offensive. You know this word offensive in the Greek, you've heard it before. It's the word we get scandal from. The Greek word is scandalon. It is scandal. It is scandal that Jesus would come and, and save us. Why? We could spend a lot of times think a lot of time thinking about that, but I've identified four on your handout. The first is it is scandal to think that we aren't good enough. The Bible tells us, the gospel tells us, God tells us that we are not good enough to save ourselves. We've recently examined communicant members and One after one, they told us they weren't good enough to save themselves. And I rejoice to hear them say that. It is scandal for for, for anybody to tell me that I'm not good enough to go to heaven. But it's true. The Pharisees, the religious elite of Jesus' day, had gone a long way to dumb down the law so that they could see themselves as good enough. My friends, none of us are good enough. And that's offensive. The second is that we deserve hell. Hell's a real word. Hell's a real place. I think I've mentioned to you that I really enjoy, joy may not be the best word, but I think it's true, to tell people that the pastor of my church deserves to go to hell. Especially when they don't realize who that is. But it's true because, see, they think think that, you know, pastors are the separate category of people. They've got it all together. They're perfect. They never sin. Their lives are are all together. Their family lives are perfect, yada, yada, yada. Never face temptation, battle the flesh. And therefore, if the pastor doesn't deserve to go to heaven on his own merits, and they don't either, my friends, we deserve hell. I deserve hell. And you do too. And that's offensive, right? We have to be offended by that in our flesh. But we must accept it if we are to see the good news of Jesus. Can you see how how the Jews would have been so offended by this idea? When Christ came and he said, I came for the sinners, I came for the sick. I don't, you righteous folks, I don't, we're not really even talking. I got more bad things to say about you than I do these tax collectors and sinners, these drunkards. It's offensive, it's a scandal that Christ died on the cross. Deuteronomy tells us that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. And here is the Messiah, he is cursed on a tree. 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But I think the greatest stumbling block is that salvation is a gift. That it can't be earned, it can't be paid off, it can't be paid back. Have you ever received a notification in the mail that you've won something big? Uh, You know, uh, maybe like a a sweepstakes, a car, or a cruise. Have you seen these that that come from the dealerships that have a key uh, taped to it? You know, the car that fits this key is waiting for you in the parking lot. Or it might have one of those scratch-off things, or scratch-and-sniff, or, you know, a special number. But you don't trust those things, right? At least I hope you don't. Why? Why? Because it's obviously too good to be true. So often the world is offended by by the fact that that salvation is a gift and it's too good to be true that you really mean that while I deserve hell, Christ has taken hell on the cross for me? And that the righteous one has died for the unrighteous? And there's nothing that I can do to save myself except believe in Him? In fact, even the, the believing, the faith according to Ephesians 2 is a gift from God so I can't even claim the faith from which I believe. Everything is from Him. It sounds too good to be true, and that's offensive. So, for some, these things and others are so offensive that they stumble over Jesus and they do not believe. The very basis of our salvation to the prideful man, if the Spirit is not working in our hearts by His mercy making us new, will always reject Jesus. The result of Disbelief in our text is um, a very costly price indeed. Verse eight b has some mystery in it, by the way. They stumble because they disobey the the word, as they were destined to do. Certainly, the Bible upholds both man's responsibility and God's electing grace at the same time. Certainly, it seems as though those who do not believe and die in unbelief, have been destined to do so. That, that's humbling and, and calls us to, to praise the Lord for understanding things we don't. But the result of disbelief is the spiritual darkness mentioned in verse 9. It is only when the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see and ears to hear that we can truly see the darkness in which we, we sit, even as Sphinx was speaking of darkness in the children's sermon. Darkness is an image of rebelliousness, of lostness, of spiritual blindness. But most sobering, verse six. We find that those who believe will not be ashamed or be put to shame. This is talking about the last day. We will all stand before the Lord. Those who believe will not be ashamed, but those who, those who believe will not be ashamed, but those who do not believe will be ashamed as they stand before the Lord on their own. The very cornerstone that they have rejected will indeed crush them. But but for those who believe, this text is chock full of great stuff. And for those who believe we've we've received new salvation, we've received new identity, and we've received new purpose in life. We've received new salvation Verse 10b, we read that that once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is going back to the story of Hosea. And God tells Hosea to have children and to name them, No mercy and not my people. But later in Hosea, that is reversed as God has mercy on His people. And so we who have not received mercy in our own natural um, lives of the flesh and rebellion is against God, God has given us mercy out of His mercy, is mercy and grace. Why does He give us mercy? By His mercy. Why does He love us? By His love. We don't know why. But praise the Lord, He does. In fact, the text in, in chapter 1 of this book tells us that we have been born again by His mercy. And as such... He has called us out of darkness. Verse 9 tells us that we um, have been called out of darkness and into His marvelous light. I love that phrase, marvelous light. Because when Jesus, the light of the world, shines His light in our souls and illumines those dark places, calls us to salvation, calls us to faith and repentance, we see the light and we are saved. Like a baby can't reach up and turn on his night light, so we can't turn on the light in our souls. Only the Lord can. And he has done this by his mercy. And ultimately, with salvation, there's a future aspect of it, as we see in verse 6, that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. One day, each one of us will stand before God, either at our death or the day of judgment or both, whichever one comes first. And Have you reached the point in your life where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you appear before God that you will not be ashamed? Will Christ acknowledge you as His own beloved? Will you stand there cleansed by the blood of Jesus? For those who believe in Christ, the cornerstone, they will not be ashamed. They will be welcomed home. Enter into the joy of your Master. Well done, good and faithful servant. We've received new salvation for those who believe in Christ. We receive amazing new identities. Verse 5, we learn that we are living stones. Just like our Savior is living stone, we are living stone. Being built together into the temple of God as we find in Ephesians 2. Have you ever seen a, a, a building out of stone? You know, each one of those stones is important. It's not like Jenga, where you can go and pull a stone out and it's going to be okay. Especially when the stones are different sizes and it's been pieced together. Each stone is necessary. And so as we think about the church, this means that as we are individually living stones in the living temple of God, there's no one stone that we can say, I don't need you, I don't like your color, I don't like your size, I don't like your talents, I don't like your skills, I don't like your interests, or your hobbies, or your language, or your culture, or your color. None of those things make sense. Because God has placed us exactly where He wants us to be. With Christ the cornerstone, the living stones, of the people of God being built up together. But not only are we the temple, the house of God, but according to 5 and 9 of our texts, we are a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood. Now this points us back to Exodus 19, where we see these same words used of our Old Testament brethren and sisters in Christ We read that they were um, a treasured possession. Where they were a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And how much more so since the Spirit has come. We are a kingdom of priests and now each one of us has access to the Father through the Son. We individually are called to intercede for others before God. We are called to serve God and each other. We are cleansed by our true high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are both priests, or excuse me, he is both priest and sacrifice. We aren't just the temple, we are the priests who minister in the temple. That is the church of God. We are a chosen race. We have been called out of darkness into the light and given a new identity. Unlike the Old Testament where this race was the Jewish race, this race goes beyond bloodlines and backgrounds goes beyond color and culture for now the gentiles have been engrafted in into the true Israel the church we are a holy nation no longer is the nation bound by the geog- geographical bounds of Israel it is a spiritual nation and kingdom with a king who reigns and rules over all creation but especially in the hearts and minds of his people we are a people of his possession we've gone from not my people To my people, we are a treasured possession. We are secure in Him. Do you feel secure? You are secure in Christ. And we have finally been given a new purpose. Verse 5 tells us that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are these sacrifices? In in view of this text, especially in verse 9, we find this that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are called to praise Him. As priests of the new covenant, as priests in the temple, as priests of our Savior, of our God, we are called to worship. We proclaim His excellencies, those things which make Him great in two ways. We, we do it through worship on Sunday morning and every day of our lives as we, as we come before Him in prayer and in His word to the sacraments and the fellowship of the people, worshiping our God, proclaiming His excellencies back to Him. But also there's an evangelistic bent here too, that we proclaim the excellencies of our God and King to the watching world that we tell them of this stone. The stone that we have to respond to. That will either respond to and accept Him and be built up into the kingdom of priests, into the temple of God, or if we reject Him, then He'll reject us and on the last day we will be ashamed. My friends, in which camp do you find yourselves in this morning? Have you accepted The cornerstone. Or will you one day be crushed by Him? Do not tarry. Run to Him today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the salvation we have received. We thank You for the new identities in Christ we have received. We thank You for this charge and purpose that we have received. To worship You now and forever and always proclaim your good news to the watching world. Help us be faithful as holy as royal priests. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.